be to you for downloading. VegCast, a full menu from first to last. VegCast. I'm Vance, here to help bring you another VegCast, a full menu from first to last. VegCast. And yes, this is part two of the VegCast Thanksgiving this time. We're going to be concentrating on the personal experience of Thanksgiving for vegetarians. We're talking with... Uh, one of the experts on going into the den of the meat eaters and emerging with your skin and your heart intact. Carol Adams, the author of Living Among Meat Eaters, uh, will be talking to us about uh, dealing with meat eaters in general and on Thanksgiving in specific. We'll also have a tune from Bob Pyle about what some of us may be enjoying instead of dead animal. And of course, as always, a science fact. All of that and more coming up on... Okay, let's start right off with our interview with Carol Adams, uh, who, of course, is the author of The Sexual Politics of Meat and The Pornography of Meat, and most recently of a book for parents whose children have turned vegetarian called Help My Child Stopped Eating Meat. But most relevantly, perhaps, uh, Carol Adams is the author of Living Among Meat Eaters, uh, where she discusses her theory that uh, a lot of the conflict between meat eaters and vegetarians uh, when it occurs around the table has to do with meat eaters being blocked vegetarians. Uh, so we'll get into that as well as a couple of other issues in this Thanksgiving-oriented uh, conversation with Carol Adams. Let's go to that now. We are talking now with Carol Adams, Carol J. Adams, the author of Living Among Meat Eaters, as well as many other uh, fine books on vegetarianism and uh, the intersection of vegetarianism and sexual politics. And uh, Carol, uh, thanks for agreeing to be with us on VegCast. My pleasure, Vance. And uh, we're talking to you specifically because you have kind of staked out a... Um, a role as uh, the advisor to vegetarians who have to deal with uh, a lot of the scenarios and situations that come up with uh, meat eaters who have questions or want to uh, raise questions about their vegetarianism. And Thanksgiving is uh, one of those times that almost all of us, uh, at some point or another in our lives, have to deal with. Uh, if we are a vegetarian, we come back uh, into a situation where we're going to be in the minority. And uh, I wanted to ask you, um, first of all, if you had uh, any uh, general tips. Now, the general thrust, if I can summarize it, of uh, living among meat eaters is to, rather than talking so much about how great vegetarianism is, to take something with you that you know, some vegan food, vegetarian food that really states your case for you. Is that is that fair enough? Well, basically, in Living Among Meat Eaters, I propose that we view 
meat eaters as blocked vegetarians. Mm-hmm. And in that proposal, I'm not saying whether this has to be proven to be true or not, but it helps us to approach meat eaters as though they are. And yeah. if you do that, it helps you, for instance, at Thanksgiving, because one of the reasons they're blocked, you can think, is they don't know how good the food is. So both for your own self-interest, which is that you need food to eat at Thanksgiving, and many people don't get it, that no, we don't eat the stuffing, even if it's vegetarian, if it's been cooked inside a poor dead turkey. And no, chicken stock does not uh, allow us to uh, eat whatever, you know, if they've thrown that into uh, um, the mashed potatoes or whatever, that people even with good intentions, often fail to understand what it is we do and don't eat. So for your own self-interest, take a few dishes, including a dessert. There's nothing sadder than the feeling that meat eaters have, that the vegetarians live completely deprived lives. So um, a great and easy pumpkin pie or something to to take along. the other reason to do that is so that meat eaters can try the food in a safe way. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they're not going to joke about it if it gets identified with you. So the third thing I always say is give an interesting name to the dish. If your Aunt Edna isn't there, call it Aunt Edna's casserole or give it some historic <laughs> context. Now, wait so a second. That, wait a second. What? If your Aunt Edna isn't there, you bring a, a vegan dish. Right. And you call it Aunt Edna's casserole? It, it sounds right. like she, you're. She's, it's she's a little not bit... there to. She's not there to <laughs> say it isn't. I mean, you get the idea. You give okay. some sort of historical context to the dish, so that it's it's whoever had that there's some resonance. I mean, you couldn't say this is George Bush's the first uh, well. favorite broccoli <laughs> dish, but you know, have a little subtle humor. You you know, you can have some fun with it. But if you give names to dishes, to casseroles, to whatever it is you bring, then first of all, you don't have to go into the ingredients. People don't want to kind of know the minutiae of a a food. And they're so worried. They're tofu-phobes everywhere. Right. They don't want to hear that it's – they don't want to say – this is my favorite vegan casserole because, oh, it's vegan. Oh, no. No, no. Right. So this is, so my first maxim is people are perfectly happy eating vegan food as long as they don't know that's what they're doing. Right. So the thing is to not call attention to it um, and simply have it there and then watch people enjoy it. The more attention it's called to, oh, Carol brought this because she doesn't eat meat. Uh, then people, it's it's already contaminated. It's contaminated by the social issues around vegetarianism. Right. So that goes back to show don't tell. Of course, in a in a Thanksgiving setting, you're combating so many different levels of issues around vegetarianism that for the food to talk on its own behalf is slightly a, a little more difficult. Okay. So simply having the food there for you to enjoy is important. I've also advised people if. If they are going to be upset at the idea of the turkey's corpse on the table, they have the right to say, I'll come for dessert. Uh, If it's a difficult thing to experience people eating dead animals, you have the right to sort of psychically protect yourself. Mm -hmm. Many people miss the main course because they're going to two different gatherings, the, the 
the one partners and the other partners. So there's right. ways of structuring that to avoid the, the difficult aspect of a meal. Okay. Now, just one of the difficulties that I wanted to really um, home in on, uh, it's, it's good in general, I think. Um, it's great advice that if you're going into a situation where there's going to be, it's, a, it's like a potluck situation, you have the option of bringing uh, something, and you can bring something vegetarian or vegan that people can eat without necessarily knowing, blah, blah, blah. Um, but the Thanksgiving being a particular situation where in a lot of households it's still governed by these uh, these traditions and these concepts that whoever ho whoever's house you're going to, the woman of the house, is it's her chance to to show off. Now, I, I know that in in some places, and we were talking before recording this, that, uh, you know, some people just, they, they order Chinese or get uh, things from Whole Foods or they, they all contribute to it. But there are still a lot of places where there there's one woman who is tasked with doing the perfect Thanksgiving meal. And I'm just wondering, is there any particular advice you have for the, the art of diplomacy in saying, I know you're going to provide the perfect meal, and yet I'm going to bring something else? Well, um, I think, first of all, if we're invited to someone's house, often we, we know that person well enough to, to know whether we should just show up with the dish mm -hmm. or prepare the way. With some people, I might say, well, thank you very much. As you know, I'm a vegetarian. I don't want to put you out. I, I'd like to bring X, Y, or Z. And um, that usually works. If um, people feel that if they were to say that, the person in response would say, oh, no, that's not necessary. There'll be plenty of food because there's some issue around um, identity as, as the cook. Right. Then I think you should still take the food. Um, Take it first and, and then apologize later. Right. Do not bring it up. Right. Because in Living Among Meat Eaters, I talk about people who can sabotage a vegetarian. Mm -hmm. And I talk about caring saboteurs, the people who promise a vegan meal or a vegan dish and then don't deliver. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to be alert that, that there are people who will sabotage us. And just to, to stress this, there's not people who are who are consciously trying to sabotage, but it is, it is like it's worked into their, their general DNA that they, they're doing something that, whether consciously, subconsciously, unconsciously, or whatever, they, they will undercut the, the reality of the fact that you're just not going to eat animal products. Right, because if they can fix a vegan dish for you, why can't they fix it for themselves? You see, right. you know, that goes back to looking at people as blocked vegans, blocked vegetarians. If they're blocked and have an opportunity to access their ability to cook vegan, then the question becomes eventually, well, why aren't why, well, it didn't taste bad. It was interesting. Why aren't I doing it? Right. And people generally don't want to confront the their failure to act. And that, that kind of brings us into the... Um the conversation. I mean, let's assume that you've got there. You there's a dish that you can eat and so forth, but there's still going to be conversation around the table. And your contention is that a lot of that is coming from the same 
phenomenon where people they want to make you the uh, the kind of focus of why they can't be vegetarian themselves, and so they can they can mock you or uh, question you or whatever, rather than having to deal with it uh, in themselves. Yeah, let's think about the context of a Thanksgiving meal. Often at Thanksgiving, you have family members who haven't seen each other for a year. Right. You've got, therefore, a lot of um, necessity to make conversation. And people are trying to find their commonalities. Families are very different. Some are blue states, some are red states, some are for one football team, some don't give a damn about football. There's not a lot they can unite around, except they can unite around the food. But you're there, and you are not allowing them to completely unite around the food. You are reminding them that they're making decisions every day that that you disagree with. You don't have to say a word. Your plate says something. It's almost as if, I mean, if I can cut in here, Thanksgiving is the one time when we uh, Americans say, you know, we have all these differences, but we can put them aside because we all agree on the value of sitting around a table with a huge dead bird in the middle of it. Correct. And, and yet there, <laughs> there's right. this one person right. scattered and among many tables that, that doesn't agree with that. So we also have to remember that one thing a blocked vegetarian needs to do is they have to feel that you're the problem. If you're the problem, then they're being blocked, their inability to change, they're eating a dead turkey isn't the issue. The issue becomes that you're the problem. So they ask questions and they kind of get in your face because they want to remind everybody that you're the disagreeable one, you're the one trying to make them feel guilty, you're the one who can't stop talking about it. And you don't even realize you stepped into this because it might start very simply like, well, what did you bring this year, or uh-huh. uh, why aren't you eating this? It, there are different levels of conversations that people will inflict on us, and those can be handled. I recommend that people have a one-liner and that you can actually sort of be a broken record so that you don't get sucked in. Um, a one-liner such as, I, I learned what animals suffer, and, and I did not want to be a part of that. I I learned uh, that it's very unhealthy, and I did not want to be a part of that. I, I learned that it hurts the environment. Whatever brought you into vegetarianism created as a one-liner, right. and that should that could dislodge some people. Now, another thing a family will often do at Thanksgiving is say, "Don't you love? Don't you love me? I fixed the food you used to love." Don't you love your grandmother? This is her stuffing. Right. Don't you? Can't you just put this all aside for one day so that we're all united? Right. And the vegetarian is uh, being almost trapped into a family system. The family system doesn't want you to change, and it's trying to bring you back in. It's trying to punish you for changing, and it's the role of the vegetarian to show the family you can live with my change. I still love you all. Right. I'm just not the person I used to be, and it's okay. And it, so, sorry, I was going to say, and again, it's not necessarily that they consciously want to punish you for changing. It's just that the family system 
was previously defined as as existing with certain parameters and vegetarianism was not included and you're basically coming in and saying I believe in a family system that that is actually bigger than right. than that 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 can include this and one great line to use there is you know well don't you love your grandmother don't you love us um that sort of guilt level is to say you taught me to think for myself and i hope you're proud that i was able to do that or you taught me to care about the world and my caring includes animals you taught me to act ethically and this is how i've decided to do that so i want to thank you for giving me that gift um and then change the subject we right. don't we i i know we were talking earlier before we started recording about how vegetarians take things very literally. We learned what happened to animals, and we did not want to be a part. But we literally understood that animals are suffering. We learned about what happens to our arteries and what's happening to the environment, and we took that literally. But our culture moves away from the literal. It does not want us to be literal. Um, in a conversation, we end up hearing people's questions literally when they say, well... Where do you get your protein? Or tell me about this. We think people truly want to know. Right. Often they don't want to know. And I came up with this new definition of relentless. Relentless is when we have one more answer than a meat eater has questions, <laughs> which is because we did a lot of research. Right. We end up talking to many more meat eaters than meat eaters talk to vegetarians. So at a in a situation like this, meat eaters often sort of get off on it, like, oh, well, I am going to find the ultimate argument, right. and uh, I'm going to show everybody that I can defeat her conversationally. Yeah, I love but it when, not... when a meat eater comes up with the argument, what about plants, and thinks, ah, nobody's, nobody's right. mentioned this before to this right. person, I'll do it. But, but, of course, you're saying change the subject and don't get bogged down with this at the table, but that doesn't mean that we never... Right. We never talk. It's just that it's it's kind of a no-win situation when we're talking about vegetarianism at the table, per se. Especially at Thanksgiving. Right. If people really care, often what I recommend is taking some handouts. Why vegan? Mm -hmm. uh, 101 reasons why I'm a vegetarian. Living among meat eaters. And hand it to them and say, I'm glad to know you're interested in the subject. Why don't you read this and then we can talk about it. That right. that sets a standard that says, I'm happy to talk about this, but prove you're interested. Don't. Right. The other thing is, is if you brought really tasty food, you're never going to notice it because you've spent your whole meal answering this sort of blizzard of questions that people pop up. I, I know at a recent family gathering, I found myself suddenly all these people were gathered around it with my parents 50th anniversary and my sisters and cousins and one worked with a, a farmers of new york around county fair issues and they were saying well why what's wrong with milk why are you not what, why and I, I was starting to answer and i answered once and i answered again and then i thought what's going on can't i even follow my own advice and i looked at them and i said this has worked for me it, you can read countless things I myself have written if right. you really care. But 
I'm I'm not going to spend the rest of the celebration b- being cornered in this room. Right. Well, and uh, I know we're we're uh, running a little long anyway. But if I can ask you in terms of celebration, what uh, your plans are for this Thanksgiving, uh, well, or if you do the same thing every Thanksgiving, or if uh, this is different. I mean, if you well, tell us we, what you usually do, or well, we experiment and we 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 keep some things and we experiment with other things. Mm-hmm. This year, the experiment was that I was just speaking at Cornell, and while I was in Ithaca, I picked up some Susie Satan, a roll that's portobello garlic, and I'm going to put. Um, puff pastry around that and serve it with a mushroom gravy. Mm-hmm. We often, we usually make pesto, vegan pesto ravioli, and my sons will roll out the ravioli, and I'll, I'll prepare the raw ingredients, and mm-hmm. uh, they'll make that. We often make walnut balls. Uh, a recipe for that's in Living Among Meat Eaters. Right. And um, uh, another um. holiday uh, celebration food is a, a mushroom, a wild mushroom cobbler. Mm-hmm. And also, I've got a, a great stuffed stuffing recipe that I'll stuff into squash that uses glazed apricots uh-huh. and mushrooms. It's very delicious. Um, usually I'll make a pecan pie and a pumpkin cream pie, the cream coming from vegan cream cheese. And um, mashed potatoes and vegan gravy, and then we have leftovers for days and days. I myself used to make the tofu turkey that uses six pounds of tofu, but I was the only one who liked it. No matter how much (laughs) leftovers I ate, it was still still around. So I sort of conceded defeat on that. (laughs) I think Thanksgiving is a time to, to really express celebration. And for us, veganism is a celebration. And if we go to the Thanksgiving meal, having set limits in our minds, I don't have to get sucked in. I can enjoy it. Um, I think people will find, be pleasantly surprised. One of the things I I say in uh, Living Among Meat Eaters is that we don't have to be the moved. We can be the mover. Thanksgiving is a time when there's so much pressure on us to move. There's so many people who want us to change or at least to get upset, to to admit defeat, to say, oh, yes, I do miss turkey. What a, They've got so many preconceptions. We're not going to be able to address all of those anxieties and issues. But if we go simply saying, I'm going to celebrate, I've got food I can enjoy, I, I don't have to get sucked in. Happy Thanksgiving. I'm helping to keep turkeys from being eaten in the future. Um, perhaps that'll help. Just to, before you go, have a sense of what your goals are. Right. And not to be disappointed or distressed that people can't accept who you are right now. Give them five or ten years. They'll come around at least to accepting your veganism. Right. Okay. Well, thank you uh, so much for talking with us, Carol Adams. And uh, we should uh, just, uh, we will have a link uh, on our show notes to Living Among Meat Eaters. It's uh, not just for Thanksgiving, obviously, but the whole year round. And you explain, uh, you go into great detail about the different uh, questions, the different answers, the whole dynamic that may be playing out with conversations. And then, 
Um, there are like 70 pages of recipes where you can put the show don't tell thing into practice and uh, I think it's uh, it's a great book and I hope uh, anyone listening to this will rush out and get it. So, <laughs> well, thanks, Vance. And uh, maybe people can also check out my website, which is www.caroljadams.com. All right, and we'll have a link to that as well. All right. And again, thanks very much for talking with us. And, and uh, happy Thanksgiving. And happy Thanksgiving. All right, thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, see you later. And once again, those links we talked about are available right now at www.vegcast.com. And now let's turn to a musical offering from Bob Pyle from his album Apples and Oranges. This is the title song, and I thought it would be especially appropriate for this show, not just because those titular fruits are uh, some of the favorites of vegans, but also because the sweeping epic narrative in this uh, multi-part song uh, takes in both how one is raised and the kind of family tradition you come from and then the tradition that you decide for yourself and how you may have to explain it to the people that raised you. And so here we have Bob Pyle, Apples and Oranges on VegCast. Apples, oranges I grew up in an ethnic home and food was everywhere Our idea of a vegetable is a chocolate eclair Salami, pastrami, cannoli, stromboli from liver to liver worst Kielbasa, salumpy, pierogies, galumpkies, I thought that I would burst then one day I saw that I could choose What's best for me when it comes to food And now it's apples and oranges Peaches and porridges Mangoes and marzipan Tofu frying in a pan And jelly made from eucalyptus Spread on homemade whole wheat biscuits It took me long enough to see But it was dogs and manicotti and so much macaroni we all look just like John Gotti Grandma got her dinner from a truck called Eels on Wheels Grandpa boiled army boots and tried to eat the heels Grandpa swore until his later days that anything tasted good with a mayonnaise but now it's apples and Or a bowl of ricotta poured upon an enchilada With a pound of pepperoni, some salami and bologna Oh, but now I have changed my mind I like salad with cilantro at a home or restaurant Spinach, greens, and avocados, lima beans, or sweet potatoes So please take away the scrapple, cause I'd rather have an apple Or something of that
improve my alkaloids and my glucocorticoids and fit into my corduroys without so much wriggling. I've lowered my cholesterol and gave away my geritol and jog around the shopping malls without so much wriggling. My cousins Diane and Lorraine would visit on the train. Mom asked, would you like steak, Diane, or some quiche, Lorraine? But with that sardinic temperament, he asked for clams instead. And he ate so much seafood, he had muscles in his head. Hey, I ain't trying to cast asparagus on anyone. Cucumbers, cauliflower, seaweed soup that's sweet and sour Kidney beans and Chinese cabbage, carrot cake with 14 carrots Lettuce, leeks and pinto beans, wheatgrass, waffles, turnip green That's what I have on my mind Pomegranates and persimmons, apple pie parade with lemons Cantaloupe and watermelons, jams and jellies that are jellies I don't need your metamucil, liver oil or prunes Because now I am feeling fine well, here we are, Napoleon, back in the old neighborhood. In fact, I used to live on that street over there. Oh, here comes a customer. Hey, give me six oranges. Say, didn't you used to live on this street? Yes, I remember. And play the banjo on that step over there. Yes, I remember. And keep the whole neighborhood awake all night with your loud singing. I can't remember. Well, what are you doing with yourself? Well, you might say I've gone into traveling sales. And now it's apples and oranges, peaches and porridges, mangoes and marzipan, oil, peach and raisin bran, jelly made from eucalyptus, spread on homemade whole wheat biscuits. It took me long enough to see that it was apples and oranges from down sunny Florida, yes. Napoleon, let's go home. Yes, that's Bob Pyle clip-clopping off into the sunset with apples and oranges from the CD of the same name. You can find out more about that and how to buy the CD at bobpyle.com. That will be in our show notes. And uh, also as a little bonus feature for this VegCast, uh, we spoke with Carol Adams about the issue of uh, a holiday meal and how to get people to accept you or at least not give you too much grief. I also had talked to Neil Barnard a couple of VegCasts ago. You may recall uh, the one focusing on his band, Verdun. And before I let him off the phone, I asked him if he had any advice or recollections or uh, anything to say about what he was going to be doing for Thanksgiving. And this was his answer. This year I'm traveling during Thanksgiving and I'm not getting together with my family, but I am getting together over Christmas. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to make a... That would be great, sure. Um, I actually called my parents and I said, uh, for uh, Christmas this year, and I, and I maybe should, should mention that my uh, family embodies a couple of different uh, religious traditions in the same family, but um, we do get together for Christmas, even though it's not exactly a, a religious observance. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, I spoke to my parents, and I said, uh, this year, let's do vegan Christmas. 
and there was so much enthusiasm in my voice, there was only one answer, and that's, okay. And so I said, don't worry. Not, not everybody has to cook, but those who want to cook can cook, and everybody else can do what they do best, and that's eat. And um, so all my SIDS are now on board with this idea. Now, it's a little bit it's, – it's made somewhat easier because my, pa- my parents are now vegetarian. My mother had a high cholesterol, and some years ago, Mm-hmm. Her, her doctor told her it was about time she listened to her researcher's son, and so she um, she became vegetarian, and her cholesterol dropped so low that her doctor decided his uh, lab equipment must have been broken because it dropped down. <laughs> so, um, now, are you, is that hyperbole? or? <laughs> no, no, that's true. He actually thought no, that's that. That's absolutely true. My mother still dines on that, uh, on that anecdote. <laughs> <laughs> and so she's, she's been vegetarian, except she had a slip for a while after that, and her cholesterol went right back up, and that made her a believer. And my father eats whatever she prepares, so he's vegetarian, too. Mm. So anyway, um, that's what we're doing. Bottom line, uh, don't be too apologetic, but also don't be uh, too much of a policeman or a, a guilt-inducing agent. Just uh, a little enthusiasm and a little bit of insistence, uh, and people can cook up that tofurkey, unturkey, sweet potato pie, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone can enjoy it. And the nice thing is, instead of collapsing into this um, sort of lard-induced haze after right. Thanksgiving, as most people do, you have have a little bit of energy for whatever you're doing afterwards if your meal was a good one. Okay, great. Science Fact. Our science fact this time around comes from a collaborative study by the National University of Singapore, the University of Minnesota, the University of California, Davis and Fox Chase Cancer Center. And the headline is, A meaty, salty, starchy diet may impact chronic lung disease. These researchers found that individuals whose diets are rich in meat, refined starches and sodium, are 1.43 times more likely, that's half again as likely, to report new onset of persistent coughs with phlegm than those who consume a diet high in fruit and soy. Uh, These results appear in the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine. And uh, this is a rather large study uh, that took place among 52,000 people uh, in Singapore, but they constructed the uh, two diets to reflect uh, two potential uh, eating patterns, the first being one uh, that was based on American eating patterns, the meat dim sum pattern. Uh, this contained 31 food items, predominantly pork, chicken, fish, noodle dishes, and preserved foods, as well as 11 snack items. The vegetable fruit soy pattern, this was the other pattern, uh, contained 32 foods, including 23 vegetables, 4 fruit items, and 5 soy food items. And uh, the result was that the meat dim sum pattern was positively associated with new onset cough with phlegm after adjusting for age, gender, smoking, education, and other factors. And uh, it's good to see more of this kind of study being done uh, now where uh, researchers are looking at entire dietary patterns instead of trying to isolate one food item, one vitamin, uh, or one toxin, or something as though we're constantly uh, living in these uh, 
micromanaged uh, world of nutrition when actually we're in the middle of these large-scale dietary patterns, and this does tell us that uh, there's a lot wrong with the Western diet in terms of our health, uh, this being just one, of course, of many studies uh, showing how different ways that this impacts our health, um, and so we can only hope that uh, research will continue in this trend, uh, looking at large-scale patterns in a rigorous way, and be able to uh, bring us more data, which we can pass on to you right here on Science Fact. Okay, and that'll about wrap it up for this edition of VegCast. I hope you got some food for thought, or some tips, or uh, something to help you face that inevitable situation of the Thanksgiving table. And be sure to come back for our December show, which will be a big, super-stuffed veg cast with uh, two different musical selections, uh, a couple of news items, including some big news about the restaurant scene in Philadelphia and uh, some more vegan and vegetarian perspectives on the holiday. Download the show at VegCast.com. You can find our show notes there. Uh, you can also subscribe, of course, through iTunes. I encourage you to do that. And either way, hope to see you back here next time. Until then, I'm your host, Vance. And get out there and live like you mean it. Bye-bye. Veg. Cat.